everyone. I'm your host, Christina Laney Mitri, and welcome to Smart Living Hawaii's podcast, where we discuss smart homes and technology, sustainability, healthy lifestyles, and smart business. Today, we'll continue our Sustainable Leaders series and have a talk story with a few of the fellows from the first cohort of the Kupu Pacific Fellow, Resiliency Fellows Program. We have recently aired a podcast with John Leong, the CEO of Pono Pacific and Kupu Hawaii, and uh, we briefly talked about this fellows program, but today we'll go a little in detail because the fellows from across the Pacific are here today. So do check out that podcast next if you haven't already listened to it, and let's begin. I'm going to introduce you to Aliyah Herman, the Senior Program Manager for Kupu Hawaii. Is that right? That's and then right. heading up this this program, this fellows program. Aloha, Alia. How are you doing today? I'm fine, thank you. Thanks so much for taking the time and having us on. Yeah, for sure. Well, I did want to feature this unique program for our listeners and share what it's all about. So since they don't really know very much, maybe you can tell us and elaborate. So how did it start? Well, the program was actually an initiative that came out of the World Conservation Congress. So in 2016, people from across the world, governments or um, nonprofit organizations, scientists gathered um, for what essentially is the Olympics of Conservation here in Hawaii. It was the first time it had ever been held in the U.S. and it was here. And after the 10 days, we, you know, a lot of us here and, and in preparation thought, what do we do to make this mean more? So um, out of that, Kupu had a, had a couple of initiatives, and one of them is the Pacific Resiliency Fellows Program. So it was really launched as a legacy initiative of the World Conservation Congress. Okay. And how was it funded? Um, the program is funded um, through a, few, a number of different supporters. So we have some local donors here, the Castle Foundation, Haolimaloa Foundation. We have the Forest Service has been a supporter, NOAA, the Park Service, um, as well as a few others. Okay. And from my understanding, it's just this first cohort that has been funded, and you're hoping to keep it going? Yeah. So we, we do have funds. A lot of it, again, came out of IUCN, the World Conservation Congress. So we were able to support this first cohort, but this is this is kind of a proof of concept. And so we are looking for funds right now for a second cohort of fellows to be able to bring um, the next group through and really continue to expand the network. Yeah, it's it's a great idea, and I really like what you're doing with it. So um, maybe you can dive more into what the program really consists of. That would be great. Absolutely. So there are three main goals of the program. The first is to build local capacity. Um, when we were forming the program, we asked around and we said, you know, what is most needed in these specific island communities? And local capacity was one of the first things. And I'm actually really proud to say that um, all of the fellows, so we have 13 fellows in this first cohort, they were all born and raised in their places, and a lot of them are Indigenous. So it really is an, an investment in um, people who are deeply connected to these places and invested in this work over the long term. So we're trying to help build capacity and give them access to sort of resources and trainings and um, and mentors that they wouldn't have otherwise. So that's the first goal. The second goal is to build a network. So how, you know, we have a bunch of different places. So we have fellows from Hawaii, as well as Palau, Rapa Nui, American Samoa, the Northern Mariana Islands, um, and Guam. And so how do these fellows who are all, um, you know, all these are all island communities. So they have both different and shared challenges. How can we share lessons learned um, 
various successes and maybe transfer programs. If someone's doing something really well in one place, can we import it to another place? Um, so to create that network and the hope, you know, we already have this strong network now of 13 fellows from these six different um, island communities. And the hope is that over multiple cohorts, that network grows and that eventually these fellows could be a voice for a broader change on a more global level. So that's the second goal of the network. And then the third goal of the program is to help them be more effective right now. So to help amplify and advance their real time on the ground work. So we didn't want this to be simply an investment in an individual. I really see them as ambassadors for their communities. So how can we give them tools, help um, support them in innovative projects right now? And so they all take projects through the program. They're all working in their communities to try to make real change on the ground. And so that's the third goal of the program. Yeah, so they all actually have their own set path or careers or that are already in place in their countries or communities. And then you kind of work together with them with what they're already doing. And then some of them do have their own program. Right. Yeah. yeah. So they're all they're all these are all sort of rising professionals in conservation and sustainability. So they are all working. They're all employed. They're doing this kind of um, work already to help build more resilient communities. Um, and then the way the program is designed is they come here. It's a 16 month program. So a little bit of pre-work time. Then they come here for a 10 day training session. They leave for a year. So we have this intercession period where they're implementing their projects and getting additional support. And then they come back, which is where we are right now for their second 10 day session to get additional support and training. Um, so they're all there. These are all people who are already at the table. They're already doing the work and we're trying to help them be even more successful. Awesome. And what is probably the age range that you would say someone maybe if we had another one, if they were to Yeah, sure. Um, sort of early to mid-career. So we have people kind of maybe late 20s to late 30s. But um, actually, one of our fellows was in his early 50s. So, I mean, I think it's it's in that, you know, 20s to, to early 40s range. Okay. And um, do how much interaction do they all have with each other over the year? Um, well, certainly. So when they're here in these two 10 day sessions, it's very intensive. Yeah. Um, so they have a lot of interaction. And then we put another, a number of, um, program elements in place to keep the network component going. So obviously there's sort of group emails and information that goes out and they kind of WhatsApp and Facebook chat each other. Um, but we also have a peer to peer mentoring component of the program. So each month they're assigned to connect with one of their other peers to give each other project support or whatever it is they need. And a few of the fellows through their work were actually able to travel to each other's places um, because they had some other meeting and then reconnect. And then some of the fellows, a lot of the fellows, so like, for instance, our two fellows from the Northern Mariana Islands from Saipan, they actually work in the same office. So they're interacting. Um, two of our fellows from Guam, they work for different organizations, but they partner a lot. So so there's a lot of different ways. Um, and then we also have, a, we had a, um, some mini mid-session gatherings um, for the Hawaii fellows. It was in person, but for some of our other more remote fellows, it was virtual. So we also connected them in that way. So we're doing a lot to try to keep them connected throughout the year and then beyond the fellowship as well. Was anybody from Hawaii able to travel over to anybody else? Or? Not this, yeah. not this time. But I, I think there are plans in the works. Yeah, I'm sure there are. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I think that kind of is there anything else you'd like to share about the program that we haven't already discussed? 
No, I, th- I mean, I think the main thing I would just share is if you get a chance to spend time with any of these fellows, you'll see how incredible they are and how incredible the work that is that they're doing. They're so committed. They have such heart um, and they're so passionate about their work. And I think, you know, from talking to them, this, this program has given them a sense that they're not alone um, and given them new tools and it's been, been really impactful. And so I just, I really hope that anyone talking to them can see the value of their investment and that I hope, you know, I hope we can support another cohort and bring this to more rising, rising conservation professionals throughout the Pacific and then expand to other areas as well. Have you heard of um, Green Res 350? No, I have Um, not. It is a podcast that I often listen to weekly, um, but they do talk about, they have numerous conferences um, around the globe, I think mostly in the States, but they're all different topics um, that they cover, like four verge different conferences. And a lot of it has, you know, conservation. There's a lot of different things. But I think this age group that, that their students or, you know, people in this age group can actually apply um, for them to be one of the 10 that end up going for free, like a full ride. But I will tell you more about that. And maybe they can apply. It would be great for them to go on like this huge scale of like what they're doing with businesses in the conservation and sustainability world. But um, I'll connect you with that later. So thank you, Aaliyah, for passionately working with these bright young individuals from our Pacific Islands. I think it's time for us to bring on the fellows. We have decided to do a quick interview with a handful of the fellows, right? Is that Mm -hmm. correct? This will give our listeners a little more depth to the program and share the awesome work they are doing during this program. Thank you so much for all you do. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Welcome, Mallory Munya. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So um, we did just explain what the program's all about, and how has your visit here in Hawaii been so far? It's been great. Um, We have been learning a lot and um, seeing a lot of really beautiful places, and yeah, it's been a really great week. And this has been your, is it the second time you're coming for the fellows program? Mm, it's the second session. Okay. And where are you from? I'm from um, Sinai, Commonwealth of the Northern Mariana Islands, um, the, specifically the island of Saipan. Saipan. Okay. And what are the natives in Saipan called for our listeners? Um, Chamorro. Okay. So I think a lot of people know that name a little bit more better here. Um, have you been to Hawaii before? Yes. Yes? Oh, okay. So um, this isn't your first time here. But I did read up on you and you paddle. Is that correct? Oh, yeah. Yeah? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, okay. And um, what, uh, tell us about the – I I was a paddler for a while. I paddled the channel a couple of times. But um, do you guys – is it a big thing here? I mean, over there where you guys – yeah. Um, it's actually not. It's definitely not on the same scale as here. Um but it's, I mean, we try the things have been a little bit slow since the typhoon, oh. but yeah. So do you, is it kind of like an aspiration to come to Hawaii and paddle the channel? I don't even know, but I know that would be people. cool. Yeah, that would be really cool. I know. I mean, we have like, honestly, we have like two men's teams and one women's team. So, um, yeah, I think. But would, there's only one paddling team or you have a numerous paddling teams on your 
Um, we kind of like intermingle sometimes. Um, yeah, there's so it's more recreational. Yes, it's recreational. Although we do we we participate in the um, micro cup, oh, which okay. is between Guam, Sinai, and Palau. How long are the races usually for you guys? Um, so the long distance is usually ten miles, um, and then when sprints. Oh, awesome. Yeah, the channel's like 40, <laughs> 41 miles away. Yeah, I'm um, prepared for that. But um, it's 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 one of us, my one of my bucket lists. So um, you should definitely now that you have some ties to Hawaii, maybe it can yeah. be a challenge for you to come out and do it. Um, I know that that is completely separate from what we're talking about, but I thought it was interesting to hear what it's like over in Saipan. Um, so back to the fellows program. Um, what I'm going to do with everybody is kind of ask what your current position is, where you're at working, and um, what your job entails. And um, maybe you could tell us a little bit more about that, like who you work for. Sure. Um, so I work for and see my government um, under the Bureau of Environmental and Coastal Quality um, under the Division of Coastal Resources Management. So I do um, all of the education, outreach, and communications for um, the agency. Okay. And I saw here that you had, I guess there's a coral summer internship. Yeah. What is that about? So we have um, every summer we hire 10, well, 15 now interns. Um, they were previously funded completely under NOAA's Coral Reef Conservation Program. Um, but we've actually extended it because of the success of the program. It's, this is the, um, I want to say it's the 17th year that we've done it. Wow. So with the success of the program, we were given more money to hire five more interns. So right now we have 15 summer interns. Um, yeah. Okay. And um, there's also, I guess, the Watershed Warriors program. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that, so Watershed Warriors was a program that we had, uh, with one of the local elementary schools. Um, the elementary school was, it's Garapan Elementary, which, um, is in the village of Garapan, which is like our main tourism district. Okay. That's where all the hotels are. Um, so what we would do was we would, uh, we came up with a 10 week curriculum and we would go into two fourth grade classrooms and teach a, um, conservation-based curriculum to fourth graders um, twice a week for 10 weeks. But unfortunately, we lost funding for that program. So, yeah, so it's not something that we do currently, but hopefully we can bring it back sometime soon. So with the different programs and the different things that you're doing in your position, I guess, how is that tie into the fellows program? And what, I guess, either sometimes they're new initiatives, right, or... Um, you're implementing something you're already doing with the work that you're learning from here? Um, Well, I think with the program, what's kind of nice about the Pacific Resiliency Fellowship is they kind of offer a more broad support network. Um, So it's not just focused in like like coral reef conservation. It's um, a little bit more holistic than that. So um, our grants are you know, constantly changing, um, and we're adding projects to it. But um, a lot of the stuff that we've been participating in just in our sessions when we've been here in Hawaii have been helpful, just even in my, like, everyday professional um, career. Okay, so there's is there a specific program that you're working on for the fellows? 
Yes. Oh, would you, could you explain that a little bit more? Sure. So um, when I started, so last year when I came, my project, I had intended my project to be uh, focused on single-use plastic. Um, but the typhoon, um, and I'm not sure if you've heard um, anything about it, but back in October, Saipan this is October 2018. Yeah, so after we returned from the first session of the fellowship, um, we were hit by a super typhoon, and it was um, a Category 5 storm. So my island and then the island uh, three miles south of us, Tinian, we were directly hit by it. And um, we're actually still kind of in, like, recovery mode, um, but it was a really devastating storm, and so I didn't feel comfortable continuing with my original project, so I kind of switched gears a little bit, and um, I wanted to do something that was related to the storm to feel like I was helping in some way. Um, so now what I'm trying to do is, um, basically I'm trying to make it so that scene and my residents have better access to local and federal resources for um, disaster preparedness and recovery and response. Um, just making that information easier for them um, to access, but then also um, kind of simplifying the process of applying for aid um, and stuff like that, making it a little bit easier for people. About how many were actually affected in the typhoon where they would be coming for aid? So um, so the CMI has, uh, it's about a 50,000 population size and um, maybe a couple thousand less, but in the storm, there were about 6,000 homes that were severely damaged or destroyed and 17,000 people displaced. So that was a, that's about 40% of our population. Wow. Yeah. And um, so if you, I mean, if you go to Saipan and Tinian right now, all you'll see is, are those green or gray or, um, excuse me, beige FEMA tents. So a lot of people lost their homes and the processes for applying for aid, whether it's, um, food assistance or home rebuilding, the, the process to do those things is kind of notoriously convoluted and difficult to go through. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I just, for my project, I wanted to be able to help people who were less fortunate than I was in some way. And I thought that, um, yeah, this was just a small piece that I thought I could do. Yeah. So what a, what things are you actually doing to, um, you know, I guess, get that going? Like, what kind of things are you making the process more smooth for them? So, um, I originally had put together um, a guidebook. So it's kind of like a self-recovery guidebook. Um, and it's just, I compiled a bunch of resources, both local and federal. Um, so, like, the local would be, like, where to purchase, um, like, construction materials, um, because, like, the layout of Saipan and Tinian is kind of weird. We don't have, like, a one-stop shop. Like, we don't have a Home Depot or anything like that. So you kind of have to, like, go all over the place. You have to know where to go to get certain things. Um, so I wanted to compile those resources, but then also it has um, information on, like, water distribution sites um, where the FEMA offices are, um, how to, how to get in contact with the local Red Cross and then the federal resources were, um, like I said, like how to apply for disaster aid, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Like what options are available to you. 
is there a place that you can go and then there's somebody that walks you through the whole process or you just have to go online and figure it out yourself? Yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty much both. I mean, you either, you, they have a local field office, but it's not a place that you can just walk into. Um, and because there were so many people affected by it, it's just, it's not a, it's not a productive system, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so a lot of people have to rely on going online, but you know, our population, we, have a lot of older people and we have a lot of people who just are not they're not used to having to go online and look up information like that so um trying to make it as easy as possible and then actually so i have a self-recovery guidebook um which i'm working on publishing and then the second thing that i um was working on was a um um, a story map online about super typhoon u2 so like the background how it became such a strong and powerful storm on the storm track, uh, the amount of damage. And that's basically because, um, you know, even though we're a U.S. Commonwealth, um, the story of of Typhoon U2 was very much underreported in the national media outlets. Um, And so a lot of people just don't even know that it happened, even though it was the strongest storm to hit U.S. soil since 1935. Yeah. So because of that, then there's much less support with random people from across the states coming right and helping because they they saw the need but like it's something that most people had never known about Mm -hmm. well um i think that pretty much wraps up our time Mm -hmm. but so you have a what is it another year with the fellows it's a two-year program right no it's only a one-year program oh it is a two-year program oh so this is the closing of of you guys coming to this and so you guys come two times and then um you wrap up well, I hope that you enjoy. Is it how long are you guys here till? Um, I'm only here till Wednesday, the day after the conference. Okay. Well, enjoy the conference. Thank you. I hope you learn a lot. And I guess I would love to keep tabs. Maybe I will also get. Is there a website that you're going to have things posted that you can for share? My information? Yeah, for your information that you can share on this podcast. Uh, sure. Yeah. yeah. What is it? Oh, um, so. If you want to look at art, the projects that we're working on in the CNMI, you can go to uh, dcrm.gov.mp. That has all of our listed projects, and um, you'll find my stuff up there eventually. <laughs> okay. Well, what I'll also do is I'll get your other information as well. If okay. you guys have Instagram accounts and websites okay. and all that, and I'll have that posted on the website okay. um, for us for, okay. for your podcast. Sounds all good. right. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you. Take care. We are on the next fellow. Aloha Jihan Yunus. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Um, well, uh, how has your visit to Hawaii been so far this second time, correct? Yes. Yes. Uh, this time around, um, I was more excited to come back. Yeah. Um, especially to reconnect with all the fellows um, and see our mentors um, and kind of complete this program with them. Yeah. So it's been very exciting. So you only got to see them in the very beginning yes. and then at the end, correct? Yes. And then have you guys stayed in touch? Yes, um, through peer networking and through um, through uh, different um, uh, things online. Yeah, things online. We've been able to uh, keep keep connected. Awesome. So let's see. Where are you from? So I am. Born and raised from, I am from the Northern Mariana Islands. I was born on Saipan. 
Okay, and let's see, I guess we'll just dive right into your current position, where you're at, and I guess a little bit more about what your your job entails. Sure. Um, so I've been working for the Bureau of Environmental and Coastal Quality for 10 years now. Uh, this will be my 11th year come October. Um, and so I work as the CNMI Coral Reef Initiative Education and Outreach Coordinator, where I work closely with communities to communicate the importance of our nearshore waters and coral reef habitats. Okay. And could you tell us, for our listeners, you know, they don't necessarily know so much about your area and where you guys are, your community. So um, for our listeners, could you share a little bit more about the pollution problems that you guys may have, which how it differs from ours, maybe? Sure. I think in uh, with Saipan, we have very similar challenges as Hawaii in regards to land-based sources of pollution. Um, a lot of the pollution we get is from non-point source pollution, so things like um, things like sediment runoff from construction or natural erosion. Um, we have a lot of dirt and waste, animal waste from farms, um, chemicals, again, also from farms. We have a lot of farms in Saipan. Um, also, we do get um, frequent wildfires during the dry season um, and then just a lot of different land-based sources of pollution um, anything you can think of is and and then also do you guys have a ton of plastic issues now yes pl plastic is also a problem that's coming from the community or coming on shore from elsewhere both um, Saipan uh, we mostly import all of our stuff and so um, we get a lot of things that are packaged. Um, we don't, we're not able to drink water from our tap, so everything is bottled. Um, um, yeah, so plastic is a problem. And then marine debris um, often gets washed up on the east side of Saipan, and most of that debris is from Southeast Asia. Okay, so... I know I was just talking to Mallory, so you guys have a typhoon, which yes. many people don't know about. So she said she was focusing more on plastics and plastic waste, but because of the typhoon, she had a different initiative. So I was just curious as to um, what's your fellow's um, initiative or what, what programs sure. did you work on? Um, so my project is focused my project is called the Garapan Clean Water Initiative, and um, the project is based on um, a village um, called Garapan. It's like the Waikiki of Hawaii. Um, so this area is a focus of commercial development. Um, it's where all of our hotels, restaurants, and bars are, including our um, popular beaches and national parks. Uh, although uh, Garapan is the heart and soul of tourism in Saipan, um, there are many challenges similar to Waikiki that we face from land-based pollution. Um, and with the typhoon, in that area of Garapan, that core area, which is like our sort of our city in the island, um, there's underground stormwater infrastructure that has been there for decades that... Um, captures all that water from upland. And so in that area, we do 
um, experienced also a lot of flooding. Mm. So with the typhoon, that area, that relatively small area could not handle all that volume of water that we did see an impact in, in that infrastructure from the typhoon. Okay. Yeah. And so what do you guys, I guess with your program, what are you guys working on? Yes. So with my program um, to reduce pollution in that area and to, you know, continue to protect public health, because a lot of that stormwater infrastructure directly leads into our Saipan Lagoon, where the village of Garapan is is situated. And everybody goes in the water. Yeah, everyone goes in the water, including tourists and locals. Mm -hmm. And what we've been seeing is an increase in red flag contamination, beach mm -hmm. contaminations. And so what we're doing to um, fix that, although my project, we, we lacked uh, funding in, you know, overhauling the whole underground system. Um, so with my project, I was looking at more small scale best management practices that we can do with the resources that we have. Um, so within my project, I worked, I helped to build partnerships between my agency and the responsible agency, which is the Department of Public Works, who is in charge of our roads and grounds. Um, and so I developed this relationship to encourage them um, to, to prioritize Garapan um, in cleaning up the storm drains annually rather than every five years. Okay. Um, so with that partnership, um, it really was showing them that, hey, we're going out there in the water, we're testing the water, we're seeing this trend of increased red flags and beach contamination, and we need your help to, to reduce that problem. Um, so yeah, we've been working with them and then also, so that's one target audience I've been working with, which is our local agency. And then I've also been working with the local businesses in that area. Um, I developed what's called an ocean friendly partners program, which is kind of modeled after the West Kumuvai uh, campaign on Maui. Um, and so it's working with, um, working closely with, um, businesses in that area to, adopt trash man better responsible trash management and storm drain practices. Okay. Yeah. So there's a lot of violations we see in the area. You know, tourists are often greeted with the sight of garbage or the smell of sewage or having to navigate through large puddles of mud. Um, and so we thought this was one way to get the community involved. Yeah. Okay. Well, that is awesome to hear that you guys are doing this. I know uh, you personally had a, another project called the Lao Lao Bay Pride Campaign. Yes. Could you tell us a little bit more about that before we wrap up? Sure. Um, the Lao Lao Bay Pride Campaign, like Garapan, Garapan is one of CNMI's priority watersheds. Lao Lao Bay is also a special place, and so it was designated as one of CNMI's priority watersheds as well. Um, and this is because that area... Of, of the bay um, first saw um, our, our ancient um, Chamorro um, ancestors um, settled there back in 3500 BC. And it was likely because that area offered a lot of fertile land, um, freshwater resources, and also bay teeming with marine life. Um, however, over the years, um, we've seen a decline in coral reef health due to um, the runoff, and runoff and deforestation and such. And so with my um, 
with my social marketing campaign, it worked closely with all the private landowners there to adopt best erosion control practices, like planting native trees on their yards, installing rain barrels, installing a rain garden, um, just all these things to help keep the soil on the land. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you feel that the community was just very, maybe did not know what's happening or why the things are causing it, now that they do, they're easily adopting it? Absolutely. We found out through surveys, through quantitative surveys and household surveys with the community, and also key, key influencer interviews, that no one really knew the threat of sedimentation. Mm-hmm. People know the threat of litter because it's easy to see, but something like dirt is not something they think would impact our coral reefs. Yeah. Um, so it was important to show... For me, it was important to show the community that whatever you do on land impacts our waters. And I think back home, um, whenever they hear there's a red, you know, this beach is contaminated, um, they look to the natural resource agencies and they're like, what are you going to do to clean it up? Mm-hmm. But really what you need to think about is to prevent, yes, to, we need prevention. And um, once it's in the water, it's harder to clean up. So it was really getting these landowners in the community to really be aware of what their actions are on that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that the community is coming together and working on things like this. Um, You have a much smaller population. I think easier to get everybody who eats together. Um, But I know we have our challenges too. So it's really good to see almost like a, I guess, a prototype, right? To see on a smaller scale what a community can do and can achieve. Mm -hmm. So thank you so much for being here and sharing your story with us. And until I guess next time you Mm -hmm. visit Hawaii, you have friends here. Thank you for having me. All right. Mahalo. Take care. Thank you. All right. Welcome, John Cowan. This is our third party here with us, a fellow with us. And uh, could you give us a little rundown? Where are you from? So I'm from Oahu. I was born and raised in Kailua. Okay. And where did you go to school? So I went to high school at Punahou School, and then I went to Boston College for my undergraduate degree. Okay. And maybe you could dive into what your current position is here in Hawaii and what your job entails. So I was recently working for Ulupono Initiative. I was on the investment team there, so helping evaluate the funding opportunities that we come across. But I actually recently left there because I'm going to start grad school this fall. Oh, okay. Um, so I'm going to be moving to California. Wow. Where, where are you going to grad school? UCLA. Awesome. And what are you focusing on? I'm going to get my master's in business, so MBA. Awesome. Well, um Ulupono is also one of those uh, companies that I, and nonprofits that I really support, and um, it's very great what they do. It's always behind the scenes, so not everybody knows who they are, mm-hmm. so it's great to see some youngins coming in, helping them out, and um, are you going to probably, are you planning on coming back after school? I want to come back to Hawaii, definitely. Yeah. Awesome. That's good to hear. We need more people coming back to Hawaii after school. So anyhow, I wanted to dive into what your fellow program was um, and what you guys, I guess, what you did specifically for your program. 
Okay. Um, sure. So for my project. Yeah, your project. Yeah. So my project is the commuter challenge. So it's a friendly competition between businesses to incentivize their employees to try alternative modes of transportation. So taking the bus, biking, walking, things that are more sustainable and green than driving alone in a gas-powered vehicle. So I guess who did you collect this out of? What businesses? Right. Um, so we're actually in the planning stages right now. So I helped um, organize a group of a planning committee, if you want to call it that. Um, so other nonprofits like um, Blue Planet Foundation, we have the city and county involved, as well as um, Heart. And so we're kind of forming a group and we're planning and organizing the challenge. And then we also got the University of Hawaii involved. So the Department of Urban and Regional Planning is actually going to use this project as part of their coursework for some of their grad students, and they're going to help implement this challenge. And so we're planning to hold it this sometime this fall. It's about a month-long challenge. Oh, okay. So, and then who do you end up getting as businesses to join? Right. So we're targeting five to ten kind of big companies, so from a variety of different industries, so the hospitals, maybe the hotels and some schools, trying to get a different range of industries to see their different travel behaviors and see if that um, kind of illuminates anything. Okay. So you spearheaded all of this, but then you're going to be gone. <laughs> yeah. So I helped set it up and then I've, I'm not as active in the project anymore, but it's, it's, I'm glad to see that it's moving forward with, uh, without me. So what have you learned being in this fellows program for the past, I guess, year now? Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the major takeaways for me recently is that there's just a lot of different ways to lead. And I think coming into this fellowship, I had a kind of idea, which turned out to be wrong and um, wasn't necessarily founded on anything, but I had this idea that this leadership program would be kind of just, this is how you lead. This is what a manager does, tells the team and kind of just very straightforward. But then here meeting with different people, going to different sessions, it's just, there's all sorts of ways to lead and then all sorts of um, people and um, trainings and everything so it's just kind of a wider perspective I think yeah so well you definitely come from the more investment analytical yeah. side of things so you're definitely learning a, a pretty broad mm-hmm. um, leadership skills that's great so you're going back to school and then you're planning on coming back here and leading something big I hope I hope this um I guess what you take what what is the goal of getting from this uh, one month plan that you guys are implementing with all the businesses for the commuter? Is it like all um, reports that you're going to get back and data? Is that what you're going to so use? So part of it's data. Um, another part is just raising awareness. I think a lot of people here just kind of assume driving is the default and they might not know about all the different options that they can take. And so it's raising awareness about that and the impacts that taking the bus or drive or not driving can have and then also the data i mean it's not going to be a lot of data since we're trying to kind of start small um, but hopefully we can glean some information and then hopefully that will lead to maybe an even bigger challenge where we can try to target all the businesses mm-hmm. on oahu um, or also just kind of inform larger transportation programs here in the city and county so how did you get connected with the fellows program so I was actually a Kupu Rise intern a few years ago. So they they have um, green sustainability internships. They place you at companies throughout the island. Um, so I was 
part of that, uh, and that's kind of how I first got my, that was my first job out of college. Where were you placed? um, It was at a company called Energy Industries Corporation, so they do solar and energy efficiency work here. Um, And so I've been kind of paying attention to the company, and then I actually saw um, this program advertised on the news, and so I thought it would be a good fit for me to help um, build my skills up. And then did you have to actually come up with your, I guess, initiative or program that you wanted to implement, and then that's how they selected people? Um, so you didn't have to have the project before they selected you. Um, I think I applied with an idea that I wanted to do something in transportation mm-hmm. and um, part of my application, and then they selected me. And during the first 10-day session is when I kind of, they helped really um, kind of narrow down the options, and then it actually took me a little while to find my project. And so it's partly why I'm kind of I'm leaving it before it's fully done. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, awesome. Well, it's great to see people from Hawaii, young people from Hawaii, um, doing these innovative things, so we can progress in our sustainable initiatives. So thank you very much, and I really look forward to seeing where you go when you come back here, <laughs> and how you contribute to the Hawaiian Islands in our future. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, mahalo. Aloha, welcome. Sanuefa? Yes, Yes, I got it. Actually, could you actually say your entire name? Because I know I will butcher it. (laughs) Um, Hello, Talofalava. My name is Sanuefa Mulyamateli. Awesome. Yes, that would take me a couple times practicing <laughs> but thank you where are you from so i'm from american samoa it's a tiny island in south pacific i mean if you look try looking for up, us for up in the on a globe or a map if there's no dot probably somebody forgot to put a dot in there <laughs> we just have to put it but, but that's it yeah well, I know that we have a lot of natives here in Hawaii as well. Mm-hmm. Is this your first time to Hawaii? No, um, this is not my first time to Hawaii, but this is my first time um, exploring Hawaii. Oh, okay. So, Kupu, is it more like a stop off? Has it been? Or? Uh, more so, yes, like transit to back to Samoa or off to the mainland. Oh yeah. Yes. Okay. Um, well, I know this is your second time here yes. for the program. And um, I also heard that you play cricket. Yes. Is that right? Mm-hmm. It's um. Is that a common game played in yes. American school? Yes. It is. But we don't play cricket like the way you guys watch cricket. I don't watch cricket. Oh. I don't know if anybody... I don't know how many people in Hawaii actually play cricket. So that's why I was curious. <laughs> I was just like, hey, is that a thing? <laughs> yes. Um, so we have our, one of our biggest community, like, island of celebration back home is our flag day. Our flag day is like our independence day. And then we also have um, what we call the Mosoi week. So those are like touristy events that we like to gear up for. And so most of the time they have these competitions, the cricket competition. There's a cricket competition for the men and also for the women. And it's usually around those times during our flag day and also the Mosoi week. So I was just curious. I know not everybody knows um, American Samoa. So mm-hmm. how large, how many people are um, so American Samoa is made of seven islands, three of them under the Manu'a Islands. 
Um, there's a population of 64,000 people in Marquis Samoa, but the most populated island is the island of Tutuila. There are some people living in the three islands that make up Manua and Onu'u, and a few, and I would say about probably a handful of people on the Swains Island. Okay. But most of the population is on lives in the Tutuila Island. So there's some parallel yes. to Hawaii, the yes. Hawaiian islands. Huh? Right. You just have the one or two less islands. <laughs> okay. Well, I guess we'll dive into the fellows program. Um, let's start with your current position in American Samoa and what your job entails. Okay. Um, so I'm from American Samoa and I work as an engineering technician for the American Samoa Power Authority uh, within the water division. And so within the water division, we have a few different uh, crews. So I'm part of the system operator crew. And the system operator crew is made of two uh, distinct groups. There's the system, one is the system operator, and the second one is microfiltration fat. So um, I work for the microfiltration um, microfiltration plant and when the system operators are uh, low in numbers and I help them out too. I t um, we helped each other out for trouble calls. So the thing is in American Samoa, I will say about, if I'm not mistaken, about 90% of our water source comes from groundwater. The other 90? 90%. 90%. So 10% of it comes from the surface water and that's where the microfiltration plant comes into play. Okay. Uh, so we collect the surface water from there and we, you know, we clean it up, we disinfect it before we put it back into the system for people to use. And so the system operators were the ones that make sure that there's enough water in the tanks, that um, there's enough pressure to push the water in high elevation homes, make sure the water's there. So much do you it. guys actually have scarce? Is there, or you have a scarcity of water at any time? Um, or it's just maybe the cleaning, the cleansing of the water? Or? No, well, the water, we have only a few areas that are still under the boil water notice. Oh, really? But I would say that's only probably 20% of our people. And that's only on the big, the, the main island to Tuila. Um, the other islands are being, you know, occupied. They don't have that problem that we do here in Tutuila. And so Tutuila has like most of the population. So um, at the moment, we're still testing out how, because it's climate change now. And as the temperature goes up, I mean, the rise of sea level goes up, uh, the water table goes down. And with a growing population, we're just trying to look for other alternatives for water source so that we still have enough to provide for our country people. Yeah. Especially since 90% of it comes from groundwater. Yeah. Wow. So what is the, I guess, the project, the fellow project? That oh, you have? my project. So um, my project is um, rain harvest system at the Alu'u Elementary School. And the name of the elementary school in Alu'u is the AP Lutali. AP Lutali is their name. Um, the school is named after one of our, our governors. So my project is, I'm not sure if you understand the concept of rain harvest, but if you think of the word harvest, you know, it's um, 
you planted, you know, when you have a plantation and during the harvest time, you get to collect, reap, and so what your hard work is about. So with the rain harvest, we're actually collecting water from the rain okay. and storing it to the tank so that people can use it for it. Like water catchment? Yes, water catchment. Yes. Yeah. So, yes. Um, so we figured, well, I figured we used the, the students at the school as a way to kickstart off this program because, you know, when kids are excited about stuff, they usually tell their parents. But at the same time, it's not a new practice. It's an old practice. It's an old practice that's out of place, not of time now that we're not practicing like how we used to do back then. Because when I did a survey for the students, none of them understood what a rain harvest system was. Was it about? Was it for? How does it look like? But for like the older generation of it's probably there what yeah. they did. Yes, they understand the concept. They know what it is. Just that right now it's easier to go to the store and get, you know, get the filter water from the filter, you know, dispensary and then go home. Instead of trying to collect this water and then boil it and use it for whatever means necessary that their family needs. So, yes, that's my project. So I got together with one of our local businesses and also some of our government agency through the Office of Insular, the Department of Marine Wildlife, and also Craig, um, the Coral Reef Advisory Group. They're the, the groups from the, the government side. And then the, the, the local businesses, uh, we have the Mr. Tank Guy in partnership with the, the LDS Charity. The LDS Charity is the Latter-day the Church of Latter-day Saints. So they have a charity program that can provide water tanks to the schools. But the school has to come up with the money for the base. So the government people, through Craig, through their grants, we were able to secure the base and also the labor for this project. Okay. So my project being with the new elementary school, when I go back home sometime during the end of this month for July 2019, we'll break soil at Onu. And so Onu will be our first pilot school. And after Onu, we have 17 other schools in our island that's going to get the same. Um, How many schools are there? Well, for the public schools, I believe I'm not mistaken, probably 22 oh, okay. of the elementary schools. And then they have about six or seven public schools, public high schools, and about three or four private high schools. So this is giving each school a water tank so they can have access to clean water. Yes. So currently, what do they do? Well, no, uh, this is access for them to get water that's... Um, Another alternative. Oh, like the rain yes, rain it's another alternative that they can also tap into this source without using the water and that. Okay. Because this one, you don't have to pay for it. Just make sure that we catch it. It's free and all that stuff. But you could, you have to continuously use it because if it stayed in the tank for more than five days, there will there will be some buildups, and we're trying to avoid that. So we're trying to make sure that once the system is up. We have an outreach um, to both the students and also to the communities because most of these elementary schools that we're going to build this rain harvest is within the villages. And so the villages always take care of, yeah. the villages always take care of their stuff. 
you know, anything that's pertaining to their village because they take pride in it. So they make sure they take care of it and they also use it. So the good thing about this is that not only will the students have access to this alternative the use of water, I mean, source of water, but during times for hurricane or other natural disaster, it's an alternative. yes, an alternative for the community for them to use too. Yeah, well, I really like that there are NGs who um, work together still, yes. and I know that the um, Hawaiian Islands came from that place, and I feel that we have grown so much, and um, we would love to see that community come back you know so we can learn a lot from yes. from you guys just like I know you you're learning a lot from us mm-hmm. um, what are some of the things you've learned through the fellows program um, one of the things I learned about here here you know with the kupu program here in Hawaii is that mind you when I stop by Hawaii it's just like another transit to the stop off yes the stop off to the mainland and um my view, I'm so sorry to say this, but my view to the Hawaiian Islands is that the big island is still an island. The other smaller island like Molokai, those are still islands. But to me, when I view Oahu, it's not an island. To me, it's like a state. You know, like Washington, yes, like Washington, California. That's the way I see because it's so modernized now. There's so many, you know, different communities. It's no longer like the village. You know, that you're used to. Yeah, I'm used to it. It's like this is this is the states now, even though it's Hawaii. You know, yeah. so it's great to see that you have all these people, all these different groups that are still trying to. They know that there's no more villages here. There are no villages here in Oahu. It's pretty much a big old community, but you have these people that are willing to stand up in this community and say, hey. We have some invasive species that we need to make sure that our, our natural, you know, resource is still here. We'll take that stand and we're going to commit to it. And because you're part of our community, if you want to join us, come join us. We're not going to push for it, but, you know, if this is something you feel like you want to be a part of, we're the group that will help you make sure you, you know, and it's different groups, you, you know, um, we went to the beach in the North Shore where they have this big old sanctuary where they're trying to stay and, you know, snorkeling, looking down, you see all these different fishes, and you're like, my goodness, I remember when I was a little kid and my grandma would take me to the ocean and we'll fish for the kuikui. I forgot the name for it in Hawaii, but, um, and, you know, it brought back those memories and you have these group of people that do it because, um, Keeping the tradition. Yes, keeping the tradition. And us who are coming from that state. Where you're still in the tradition. In the tradition of villages coming here and seeing adapt to the modern world, adapt to the fact that you don't have villages here, but you still work as a a big old community Mm -hmm. and you're trying to hold on to it. So to me, that's the most exciting thing about this. I hope that you can also take back the good and yes. the bad, right? With with how things, what what a city does to yes. to a village, and you know, and I still have good people that want to make sure that the stuff, you know, ten twenty years from now, the next generation can enjoy it too. Yeah. Well, 
That's great. I'm glad that there's a program like this. I hope that it can continue on um, because I think it gives the opportunity for all of the Pacific Islanders to integrate. And Mm -hmm. I think that's what we need. We need to share our ideas and our history with each other. Well, thank you so much. Have a great day and the rest of your stay here. Oh my gosh, thank you. I was waiting for you to say, not because, you know, I'm just uncomfortable talking like this. Don't worry. Well, take care and have a safe flight home. Thank you so much. Aloha. So we are on our final fellow and welcome Farron Taran. Thank you. Yes. Okay. Awesome. Uh, Where are you from? Born and raised in Guam. Awesome. And how did you find out about the fellows program? It's been long enough that I don't remember. I assumed <laughs> I got it from a colleague's email address and they sent it on to me and, and thought I'd be a good fit. So here I am. Okay. Well, what we have been doing is just um, asking you to tell us a little bit more about your current position in Guam and what your job entails. Sure. I'm a project coordinator for the Nature Conservancy. Um, I work on the habitat blueprint, um, habitat, Manelgas habitat focus area, and primarily in the village of Mariso in southern Guam. I primarily work in doing a lot of outreach and assisting with project implementation. And uh, maybe you can give the listeners a little bit more ideas of what it is you do out in the community, I guess, with your projects and stuff. Sure. Um, these days, I actually try to spend a lot of time literally just kind of hanging around, um, just engaging with people who are there, ask them what kind of fish they're ha- um, catching, uh, see what kind of issues they're facing and how we might um, work together to kind of mitigate them. So I also do a lot of um, outreach activities. So every uh, month, sometimes multiple times a month, we'll put on some kind of outreach activity, a hike or a snorkeling session or a low tide walk. Uh, things of that nature and just try to uh, educate it, uh, the people about um, things that are happening, such as um, invasive species um, that are there and how they are affecting um, maybe not them, but other people within the village or other people in other places on the island. Um, we have issues with the uh, wildfire. Um, we have um, kind of issues with uh with contamination in the lagoon and other water quality issues and just trying to just engage with people to uh, increase their knowledge of these things. And the people, you just mean the community. Mm-hmm. So all of these activities that you set up is more community-based and then it's is it usually just free for them to come and be educated on all of these different activities? Yes. Awesome. I know we have a ton of things here on Oahu, but um, it's hard to... How do you share all this information with everybody and how do you get people to come to all your events? So very good question. It's actually a, been a challenge to try and get people to come to the target audience to come to the outreach events that I put on or we put on. Um, because it's in Mariso, uh, because it's within that village, trying to get people from that village to come and listen to me as an outsider explain their village to them is a bit awkward uh, in some cases. So I'll try to... Um, acknowledge that and bring it out saying, I know this is your home. I know you know your areas. I know you know what's going on, but just trying to say that um, I have another perspective that you might value. So when I am able to get them to come along, I'm able to show them what the science says or what we say in resource management about any particular issue. Um, 
otherwise, I find that it's been just really effective or a lot more effective to hang around and just engage with people naturally in conversation and try to hear their concerns and see where I can present uh, my concerns or things that I, I'm worried about them for or worried for them for uh, to try and, and uh, insert um, the things that I'm working on that they would find relevant. But first, give them the opportunity to bring it up and see how what I, my work complements their concerns. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess for climate change and things that are evolving, are they coming to you also with, hey, you know, we've always done it this way, but we can't anymore because of something that's different now with the climate or the community or the sea. I don't know exactly what, what, what are you guys face, I guess, on climate change. I would imagine sea levels mm-hmm. would be one, but I mean, what other things do you guys tackle? Are you tackling now? Sure. Yeah. So uh, sea level rise is, is a prominent one since it is a coastal village and they're kind of a traditional fishing village where they, so they recognize the difference are not so much. They, it's a it's a it's a mixed group uh, where some people who've really done it all their lives noticed a, a great loss of coral as there has been. Mm-hmm. There's also been a an invasive strain of algae that kind of dominates some of the areas. It entangles on the coral and it crowds out habitat from fish that would otherwise be there. Um, and just late last year. Uh, until early this year, I want to say, we had a lot of people complaining about our tide charts because they weren't being accurate. Oh, and do you guys have the king tides too? Uh, not so much, but we are have undergone an ENSO event, so um, people are we're reporting tides that are lower than they're supposed to be. Oh. And so this gives us the opportunity to talk about um, El, yeah, El yeah. Nino and that our, our sea levels have been changing, um, and we've been able to see that on on our NOAA data. Awesome. Well, I guess we can dive into the fellow program and I guess what you guys adopted, what what program are you working with with the fellows for in your community? Oh, what's my project? Yeah, what's your project? Oh, okay, sure. So my project changed. It was originally fire-oriented, uh, and, and then I changed it to um, something that's another part of my work. So I was meant to hold a series of well-attended community meetings um, for climate change adaptation planning and project implementation. So I needed to know what the issues and what the threats people are facing, who is facing them, and how we might work together to mitigate them. Um, I had planned some meetings, some of them with food that had low to even no attendance, um, which kind of hurt. So I had to take a step back and reevaluate and try another approach. So I figured I'd been trying to get people to come to me and I wanted to try going to them. Mm-hmm. So this is how I was able to get a lot of uh, great feedback and um, from the people in the community about issues they're undergoing. And I was able to get a lot of their perspectives about things, um, many things, including what they thought of people like us as resource managers and conservationists. And I could see that there was a little bit of a some things that happened or didn't happen in the past that um, made them a little resistant to opening up to to people like us. Um, So fast forward, uh, I befriended uh, several people within the village, uh, one older couple in particular, and I'll never forget this, the husband uh, said something to me, he looked me dead in the eye and he says, I look at you and you can be my son. 
you're like, oh, wow. And I lost my father at a young age, so that was especially uh, heartwarming to me and touching to me. And one day he asked me um, for something, which is the exact kind of thing I, I wanted. The meetings wasn't the important thing. The important thing was getting the input and then getting a product out of that input, making a project to help. Um, in this particular case, he asked us to remove the corals off of the boat ramp that were threatened by transiting boats at low tide. Very reasonable request. He's not asking to remove corals from the reef. Remove corals from the boat ramp and to mm -hmm. fulfill its purpose. Talked to my team and partners, and we got it done. So now um, I actually have some credibility. I'm working to earn trust with the community, and I'm able to... Um, interact with others on a better level and our conversations continued so I can know about who is who in the village. So when I talk to someone I haven't met, I can just name drop um, friends we have in common and figure out uh, connections and just have them be more open to uh, speaking with me and maybe trusting me and our work a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, I see on Oahu we have similar, we don't have villages, I guess, anymore. What would you call them here? Um, I guess there are locals that, you know, have their own communities and everything like that. We also have, you know, homeless mm -hmm. kind of situations where they create their own communities, you know. So um, reaching out to them oftentimes can be difficult unless you are with parties that have been, you know, there helping them out for years, right? So building that trust and building that rapport with them does take time, but they do need to see your genuine care, mm -hmm. you know, and once they do, um, I think they're much more inclined because, you know, I serve at church and we go, you know, to homeless camps too. And because we've been going there for so long, a lot of times we're offering like medical assistance. So, you know, and sometimes we have some snacks with us. So of course they come out and talk to us and mm -hmm. socialize, but um, I could tell that if it was just someone for the first time coming, then they're on guard and they, you exactly. know, question everything you do. So exactly. um, it's, it does have, I, I'm not too familiar with Guam. I haven't been, um, would definitely like to go to a lot of these Pacific islands um, to check them out and see how different they are to Hawaii. But I see a lot of similarities. I think Oahu is a lot more city-like. So and it's just overly populated in comparison to your guys' islands. So we have different issues now, um, which is interesting because we want to go back. I think a lot of us want to go back to, you know, that more simpler lifestyle too. And, you know, we can learn from the things you guys are doing now because it was traditional for us in the past. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I really love this program. I'm glad that it got up and started and I hope that it can continue. So what, I guess, before we end and close here, what would you say are some of the takeaways that um, you took from this program, I guess, in the past year? I guess a couple of things. One, um, uh, soft skills. So I was really hoping uh, to get more kind of informed on project management, which we did get some of. However, I felt that there was a lot more that I gained in soft skills, which I didn't fully appreciate the magnitude of how important it is. So we, we talk about, um, you know, dealing with community members, but not just that, also just colleagues and coworkers, you know, anything we want to do, it takes support by other people, uh, community support, um, 
people also involved in conservation just to have this kind of synergy to move on ahead. No one person can do almost anything alone. Mm -hmm. And I think the soft skills of recognizing how different people work, how people operate, how a little bit of psychology behind that and just bringing back that humanness Mm -hmm. to our work when we can be so focused on saving the trees, we can forget about the people that the trees serve or the people who have looked after the trees for generations. Whereas we come in out of nowhere and try to to jump in where we can work together to achieve greater things. Yeah, well, I'm glad that you're learning this now in the very beginning stages of your career path, because mm-hmm. it's what it's what a lot of leaders need to need to learn in the very beginning, because um, that, that's what I see, you know, within our um, Smart Living Hawaii. That's what we focus on is there's all these sectors doing great work and have great ambition and have great purpose. But um, if it doesn't get through to everybody, it doesn't get through. It doesn't pass. It doesn't happen. So it, it is really working together. And, you know, here in Hawaii, we're doing that. But this program allows us to do this in a bigger group. And I appreciate that. So thank you guys so much for jumping in and doing this podcast with us. And we will hopefully have it live shortly for everybody, for you guys to share. Sure. Mahalo. Thank Thank you. Thank you, Kupu Hawaii and fellows. That's all I have for you today. Thank you all for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast at www.smartlivinghi.com. Also follow us on Instagram at smart underscore living underscore Hawaii and like us on Facebook. Mahalo and until next time, live smart.